Hey, before we get started, we just want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Church Sound Made Simple. Mixing sound seems complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Cut the overwhelm by getting access to the stress-free, no-fluff training that will help you create great sound at church. Visit churchsoundmadesimple.com. Well, welcome to the Collaborate Worship Podcast, where we help you master technical skills so your church can worship without distraction. I'm your host, Cade Young, and today I'm joined by the one and only James Wassum. How are you doing, man? Good, Cade. It's nice to be here with you. Good. Well, I'm really glad that you're here, and I know that our listeners will be too. James is the author of Great Church Sound, which is an incredible book. I have a copy of it, and to me, it's kind of like the manual that you've always wanted. Everything you need to know about church sound is in there, but unlike most manuals, you can actually understand it. I was reading James' bio online, and I found that this guy started out as an electrician. That was actually new to me. I hadn't, I didn't know that already, which led you into sound installation at some pretty large venues. So that's a pretty cool journey. And I've known James for several years now, and he's just a wealth of knowledge. I know that James is passionate about helping you problem solve technical issues in regards to church sound. So James, why don't you tell us what causes you to nerd out about all this kind of stuff? Yeah, you know, I, I, I was a musician or am a musician. I, I play drums, um, and uh, but I needed a day job, right? So uh, sound was the next best thing, it seemed like. And I grew up, my dad was an electrician, and I grew up pulling wire and playing with electricity. And the funny thing about electricity and, of course, sound, it's invisible. Um, and it because it's invisible it can feel like it's this intangible thing but it has such a profound impact on our lives when you think about sound and everything around us and one of the five major senses we key into it's it's a it's a big part of who we are and how we live life and i just love being able to work with something that has that technical side to it, but it's also incredibly subjective. There's an art to running sound. There's an art to doing this stuff. And I guess that kind of combined the tech side of me and the artist side of me. So I can geek out on this stuff uh, to no end. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, man, I totally understand. And I've never even thought about that combination between the technical and like the creative side and how that's merged together in running sound. It's pretty cool. Well, man, in every podcast interview, we always take a moment to bring up failure out into the open so that we can laugh together and learn something along the way. And the truth is we all make mistakes and they tend to seem really heavy until we realize that even the pros make mistakes. So James, fess up, tell us an an embarrassing story. (laughs) Uh, I I guess you're talking about things besides all the times I've torn apart a sound system to fix a problem and you realize there was a mute button on somewhere. Uh, because <laughs> that's happened many, many times, and it's always embarrassing every time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the, the larger the congregation or the audience, the uh, more embarrassing it is, too. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. But, uh, but besides all of those times, um, the one thing that, that really, even to this day, I kind of have this little embarrassing kind of reaction to it, but it was such a learning experience and a teachable moment. Um, I was mixing sound, very young uh, volunteer, uh, learning the ropes, and and I got put into a, a leadership role and a, a primary mixing role very early on because of some changes in the church and volunteers moving around. And so I was doing the best I could and, and really focused on getting it perfect, right? You know, dialing in that mix and getting it going. And um, I spent a lot of time listening. 
but I realized after the fact I was using a crutch. And it, it was one Sunday, I can't remember if it was after sound check or after the service. I think it was after sound check uh, before the service. My worship pastor came up and uh, he said, you know, James, um, I think you're doing a great job, but uh, I feel like you should probably spend more time listening to the room instead of listening to the mix in the headphones and trying to to pick out all these little things in the headphones. And I was using, I realized, I mean, he was, he was totally right. Um, and, and I knew it immediately. And even though I had some experience doing mixing to some degree at a professional level and was learning the church sound thing and the nuances of all of this, um, I, I knew immediately what he was saying. It was super embarrassing, but I realized I was using headphones as a crutch and I was putting them on. It made me look cool. It made me look like I knew what I was doing or like I was really into, okay, I'm picking out this part so I can EQ it just right, or I'm mixing the faders. Oh, where's this in the mix and all this stuff. It didn't matter at all because it was the headphones and I'm mixing live in the room. You know, mixing headphones is great for live streaming or recording, but in the room, you mix for the room. And I don't care if you can hear something in the headphones or not. If you can't hear it in the room, you can't hear it. Um, so that to this day is one of the most galvanizing learning experiences I think I've had. And I was really embarrassed at the time, but I, I wrote about it in the book and I remember bringing up that story and it was just like, it, it, every time I talk about it, it's like it was yesterday. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's ultimately all about what it sounds like in the room. That's the big takeaway. And it changed the way I mixed from that day forward. So I got to know, though, what was your reaction, like your initial reaction whenever he told that? Did you get defensive or did you just say, OK? Uh, you know, my initial reaction inside, I, I can be kind of a stoic person. So on the outside, I probably didn't hardly react at all or had a blank stare. But on the inside, it was just I was kind of like it was this pride thing, right? Uh, I mean, it was an Im instantly humbling experience because immediately, as soon as he said it, I knew that I was doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. But it was a pride thing. And as a tech guy and all this stuff, I mean, pride is an issue. I mean, you you know all this stuff, you have control over all these faders and, and, and knobs and all this stuff. But um, yeah, I had, to, I had to check that pride very quickly. Uh, but my immediate reaction was one of like, no, I'm doing this for this reason and I have to do it this way. And, you know, but it was totally the wrong thing. And it, it you know, it only took me a few minutes to kind of calm down or whatever. But um, it, yeah, it, it was it was kind of a, a profound learning experience. Awesome. So I bet somebody's asking, though, that maybe they're using headphones to mix in the room right now. And this is just like an aha moment for them. So what is the right use of headphones in the room? No, that's an awesome question. Uh, for live streaming, of course, it's the only way you can mix, um, you know, reliably for that stream or that recording. But mixing live sound, you use headphones a lot. In fact, I recommend certain types of headphones depending on the mixing you're doing. For people doing recording, you don't need anything super fancy. But for, uh, for live sound, you want something that really helps isolate what you're hearing in your ears because when you got the live room and the band and everything else going on, you really need to focus on what something sounds like. And there's two things that I use headphones for primarily. One 
is to check audio quality. Even when I'm setting up gain during sound check and line checks, I can listen to the audio quality. I can hear if there's any crackles or pops or anything that, that's because of a bad cable or a loose connection or some overdriving on the preamp or clipping and things like that, distortion. Um, I use that uh, for every sound check. And then the next thing when I'm mixing, I'll put on the headphones and solo a channel out and I'll listen to the EQ and the natural sound that I'm getting as I EQ that. And that allows me to, uh, to, you know, sweep across the frequency spectrum, really fine tune the EQ adjustments that are a little bit harder to do sometimes in the room. But you always, always, always end any session you have with headphones with listening in the room. You take the headphones off and you just listen in the room and verify. And sometimes you're putting them on and off pretty quickly because you're like, no, it really sounds like it should be this in the headphones, but in the room, I don't hear any difference. So um, th those are the, the main things that I use them for. It's kind of a troubleshooting and then a fine tuning type of tool. Awesome. It's good stuff, man. Well, I have a few questions I want to ask you that I think are going to really help our listeners. So the first one is regarding church sound, what is something that people make complicated that doesn't really need to be? <laughs> uh, EQ. Uh, I, I think we talk a lot about EQ in, in sound circles and stuff. And, and for the beginner, it just seems so obtuse. And because like we said earlier, sound is invisible and you, you can't really see it. EQ is interesting because it actually, in some ways, it makes it visible to you. Uh, it makes that sound visible because we can, on digital consoles, we can see that frequency spectrum readout. And on our knobs, even on an analog console, you can see the frequency levels and the adjustments and, and what you're dialing in. But we get so caught up, and I can't tell you how many times people ask me, what frequency should I be adjusting? Uh, the one that you need to, uh, it, you, you find it and you, you fix it. It's not a, a defined thing. It's not like, oh, to fix the vocal, just go to 848 hertz and pull that down 6 dB. No, it changes. It'll even change for one person on one microphone in a different room or one person on a different microphone in the same room. Or if it's 90 degrees one day and 60 degrees the next day, that temperature will have an impact on how you hear that tone. Um, and so we get so caught up in the specifics of it as, as new sound techs that we, it just becomes a distraction. So uh, EQ does not have to be complicated. Uh, it, it actually is one of your best friends. So try to, try to get out of your own way and, and sort of, I don't know, uh, allow that technical process to come when it's time to come along. It, it doesn't have to be this precise thing every single time. If you were going to have people only apply one EQ filter, what would you tell them to do? Uh, th that's an easy one. Uh, roll off the low end of apply the, the uh, high pass filter <laughs> or the low cut filter on your console. That will do, that one thing will clean up a mix. Uh, like crazy. Um, even, even on things that you think don't need it, like a bass guitar or a kick drum, there's a lot of low energy that it just ends up making things really rumbly or, or muddy or tubby. And it depends on your loudspeakers, whether you have subwoofers or not, even how they're positioned in the room. Uh, but dealing with those extra low frequencies, um, that's your, that's your first weapon against bad sound. 
Yeah, I always tell people that if I was going to be stranded on an island and could only take two things with me from my mixer, I would take gain and low cut filter. And that's pretty much all you need to create a pretty good sound. Totally. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you get quality coming in. So that's the whole garbage in, garbage out thing. You, you clean up your quality coming in with the gain. You uh, make sure it's clear, clear through the signal chain uh, with your uh, high pass filter. Done deal. Um, the rest of your job is so much easier. No doubt. All right. Next question for you is when a church is struggling with, to get great sound, have you found that it's usually an equipment issue or is it something else? Uh, almost to a point, every church I go to uh, that's called me in because of an issue thinks it's an equipment issue, um, <laughs> but it's almost always a training issue. And it's not necessarily as complicated as, as maybe that might sound. I mean, a lot of people, when you think, oh, you need training, it's like, oh, how many seminars do we have to go through? Or we got to do this, this, and this. It's more of a culture thing. And it's a leadership thing in terms of empowering your volunteers with the resources and the, the structure and the time needed to practice, uh, needed to learn the craft and then, and then really experiment with that and get better with it as a team. I think in tech ministries, it's easy to be kind of siloed off. And in smaller churches, that, that, that's tough because you have a limited number of volunteers, right? But even with small churches and small volunteer groups, it's important to have a culture of, of training and education and, and that grace and giving the time to come up to speed on this stuff. You don't learn how to do something artistic like running sound and also something very technical in a week or a month. Um, it takes time and practice. And, and if we can empower our teams with the training opportunities and resources to help them along that journey, it'll make a huge difference. And I, I know you and I have, have uh, been working together off and on and, and uh, engaged in this for a number of years. And it's why we're so passionate about doing what we're doing is because that is such a big issue. I know that's what drove me to finally stop procrastinating and write a book on church sound because it was such a big need. How do you simplify this so the everyday layperson and volunteer can approach it and come away with something you know tangible and that actually works? Um, so that that's that's been a big thing for sure. It, it really is training in that culture of of uh, education. But that's not as sexy as buying new equipment. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my bank account loves it. If you want to buy a new loudspeaker from me, that's that's just fine and dandy. But uh, and certainly not as cool as buying a new digital mixing console. So, yes, every the solution to all your problems, Kate, is buy a brand new digital mixing console. Oh, and a line array. You need a line array in your church. Yes. So. <laughs> yep. that's, that's the only way it's going to sound good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I think if we can get past that part, we can actually get somewhere with it. But even with a brand new sound system, I've installed plenty of new systems in churches and I get called back within a month or, or three months. And they're like, it sounded fine for the first week or two, but we can't, we just, it's terrible. And sometimes they'll, be so upset that they might call somebody else to put in a new sound system or tweak something altogether. I mean, I've, I've seen it happen and it's, it's terrible. It's sad when that happens, but it's, it's due to a lack of emphasis on training and that, that structure. 
Yeah, you know, when I started out in all this, I was obsessed with equipment like everybody else was, you know, and grew up along the way because I've been running sound at church for like over 12 years now. And then now I'm the pastor of a church, so I get to think about the budget side of things too. So my perspective is like more whole (laughs) than it used to be. And so I can remember whenever we moved into the facility that we're in now, um, we needed some equipment. I I didn't want to buy new equipment. Like five years before that, I would have been like, yeah, we need new stuff and this and that. But I was like, let's see if we can make work what we already have. And we'd finally fully switched to in-ear monitors. So we had just some floor wedges uh, that weren't being used anymore. So I was like, I wonder what would happen if we just flew those and use them as our mains. And it's like, you don't know until you try. And so we threw them up there. I thought it was going to be terrible because they're just like, they're good speakers. They're like 12 inch JBL PRX speakers. I mean, they were, they were decent quality. I just didn't know if they'd have enough power to be mains. Lo and behold, they did have enough power to be mains. And here we are three years later still using them because they fit the room like perfectly. So, wow. Oh, that's great. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Try th- it. Th- go ahead. Th- there's an old saying out there that says, uh, if it if it sounds good, it is good. So go with what sounds good. And if it works, it works. Um, you, you don't have to get all, you know, wound up about it, about getting just the perfect thing. It's kind of like EQ and frequencies. It's, there's no one perfect thing. If it sounds good and it works, do it. <laughs> yep. I like that. All right. So you you touched on this a little bit, but many churches struggle to recruit uh, volunteers to mix sounds. So do you have like any recruitment or some training tips just to help people get, help them get people through the door? Yeah, some of this is is from my early experience as a young team leader and trying to figure out how to grow my team. So I wasn't there every single Sunday and burning out and all this stuff. Um, so part of it's from that. Part of it's from uh, someone a lot of the folks listening might know about, uh, Carl Barnhill over at uh, 1230 Media. Uh, he spends a lot of time on this and, and he I really like the way he put some of his stuff. So Part of this is an adaptation of my own, but also his kind of philosophy. And one of the big things is to be inviting. Um, I I feel like in tech circles, and I'm guilty of this for sure, it's easy to be kind of this, I I don't know, you kind of almost create your own little niche or your club or this little membership group that is like, if if you don't talk the right language, if you don't know what gain means and you don't know what a high pass filter is and forget parametric EQ and compression and limiting and all this other stuff, you're not part of our club, right? So it's a very exclusive and exclusionary type of atmosphere sometimes if we're not careful. And I, th- I think the big thing to be inviting is to, to really open up and, and understand how we can relate to people that are brand new and create opportunities for them to serve. Uh, ask for help. That's a big thing. I mean, guys like you and I that have been doing this for years, we probably don't feel like we need that much help. In fact, you're probably getting in the way because you're not going to wrap that cable the right way, right? And it's just better if I do it myself. Well, the problem is, is that creates a culture where uh, it's a very closed structure. It's not open. It's not inviting. And there's no space for anybody else to serve in that type of environment. So if we can step away from our ego, uh, be more thoughtful and deliberate about opening up and inviting people in uh, will solve a lot of the recruiting and the volunteer uh, staffing problems that we experience on tech teams. 
That's a good point and one that I honestly haven't thought of much. But even I've noticed that most tech people are introverts as well. That's just kind of like a common personality trait. So it's easy to be that this is my club, don't come into it because I'm afraid of what you might you might disrupt my quiet place, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I I go to church to set up for a sound check early, so I'm the only one there so I can have that quiet space, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, th- I think the, the danger in that is that, yeah, I, and I'm not an outgoing personality. I don't go out and try to recruit people by glad handing and, and saying, hey, brother, how you doing? This and that. It's, um, you know, it's more of a passive thing, but even your demeanor behind the mixing console on Sunday and somebody that comes up and is curious. I mean, kids from the youth group are amazing uh, to be able to work into the sound team and things like that, or, or musicians even um, are, are great to recruit because they understand more of the artistic side of sound. And so you just have to train them a little bit on some of the tech stuff or whatever. They can be great allies, um, even if they play on the worship team two or three Sundays a month and mix sound once every five or six weeks. Um, they can be great sound team members. So I think open up the the sphere of what you think might be a good sound team member and um, be open to, to, you know, that, that diversity that you can have. It's a good point. So once you like get the, become welcoming, get that new person on the team, like, let's go back to all the way, uh, beginner James Wassum, your first few times mixing. Like, if you had to go back to that guy, like, what would you tell him? Oh, man. Uh, stop stressing out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I used to get so, uh, not super amped up, but like kind of stressed and butterflies before we'd go live. You know, I, to combat that, um, one of the things that really worked for me was just getting there early. Um, having that quiet time, um, you know, investing in my, my education in the off time. So during the week or in the evenings, I read books or watch videos or do whatever. But, um, during sound check, I use sound checks as a time to practice and work out those jitters as much as I could. Um, once I finally got, uh, uh, over my fear of feedback, um, everything else got a whole lot easier. Um, and, and so I would, I would just tell myself, you don't have to get it perfect. This isn't going to ruin everything. If you screw up, just focus on the fundamentals, make sure your mutes are off when they need to be and on when they need to be. And, and as long as it's not distorting or feeding back, you've done a, a job number one. You've, you've had a first success in mix, mixing. So go with that. And then you can focus on the EQ and you can clean up some compression. You can do all this other stuff. I, I, I didn't even touch reverb until well after I had started uh, doing a lot of my mixing. I didn't even inter- want to introduce that into the mix early on. So um, keep it simple and, and try not to stress out. Don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, I'm with you. And one step at a time, because like the sound thing is a journey. Like I'm sure you're learning, still learning just like I am. You know, it seems like I don't think you ever learn everything. So you might as well just enjoy the learning process. I definitely know, don't know anything. In fact, I, I was telling you earlier, I, you know, the, the the course for sound techs that you just recently came out with, I, I even learned something from that, a few things from that. And, and there's stuff we can all learn. We can all teach each other. Um, we don't have to create this facade of this technical perfection. Uh, that's the enemy 
of doing a good mix. That's the enemy of of really collaborative teamwork and and the ability to remain humble and and to to do our jobs and volunteer in, in the way that pleases God. And I think I think we often forget about that sometimes when we drill down into all those little details that actually don't really mean that much, you know. Uh, and you got to get to preaching now. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's good stuff, though. You're right. All right. So, I'm a one thing kind of person. Like, I like to give people just, here. here's your focus step. So, you don't have so many things that you don't take action. So, if you could give our listeners, what's the one thing that they could do like today to drastically improve the sound at church? Gosh, it's going to sound like me beating a dead horse, but um, teach EQ and not just EQ in general, that's too broad. Teach the EQ sweeping method to every new sound tech. And here's why. I can't tell you the number of times that I've taught this method and the light bulb just finally comes on for somebody. Um, and if it's a digital console and they can see some of the frequencies on the real-time analyzer and stuff, that even reinforces it because it makes that invisible visible. And it makes it tangible. Even on an analog console, it's phenomenal what that one technique can do for a church's mix. And it's not super advanced and it doesn't involve headphones, although you can try that starting out if you want, but you can use it in the room and it, it, it'll it boost your confidence. And besides that, it's an amazing mixing tool because it works and it's super effective. So I, I know uh, this advice is out there all over the place, but I, you know, it's called the boost uh, sweep cut method for EQ or EQ sweeping method. So what you do is you boost uh, a frequency or a filter on your EQ by like six to nine dB. And then you take the frequency range and you sweep across that frequency range. And what you're listening for is what sounds bad. What's the worst sound that you get when you sweep across that frequency range? Because our ears, interestingly enough, can hear what sounds bad better than what they can hear sounding good. So we listen for what sounds bad. And then at that point, we cut by like three to six dB. You don't have to often cut a lot, uh, but you cut whatever that frequency was that sounded bad before. Now you just lower it and you go minus three to minus six dB. And that one thing, if you go through and apply that to the channels that you need to clear up in your mix, that'll save you a lot of time and it will make you much more effective at EQ and it helps you train your ear. And that results in more confidence and a better sounding mix. So if, if it was me and that's the only thing I got to teach at a, at a volunteer uh, camp for sound techs, I would just teach that uh, besides gain. But yes, that one thing has the power to change your mix dramatically. That's good stuff. And I know you've seen this out there, like in the training that's online, all these complicated EQ filters where they have like, they're using all four different filters on every channel. And then people are like, I don't know what to do now. I can't tell you how many times that's actually happened in real life for me. It's usually like I have the low cut on there and I have one, one filter on there where I've done the frequency sweeping and then cut out something that didn't sound good. And then you're like, okay, that sounds great. And then move on to the next channel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I, when I go into church that's complaining of having problems or some clarity issues and things, and you look at the uh, mixing console, the first thing I'll do is flatten all the EQs. Be like, we're starting over from scratch. I don't I don't care what you thought you needed when you needed it. Maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. We're just going to start over because what's important is what sounds good. And 
right now it don't sound good so let's do something different <laughs> and you probably freak them out and scare them to death oh yeah <laughs> i mean all those little dots and the marker pen you know this is where this knob goes and that that can be helpful for a time i i i've used those uh, certainly in my younger years but um if you understand like this simple technique with with listening to frequencies as you sweep across you don't need all that stuff anymore all of a sudden, all you need is just a little bit of critical listening and some experimentation. And you can do that with something as simple as someone talking on a microphone or somebody playing guitar and just have them up there playing for 10, 20 minutes. Uh, read a passage out of the Bible or whatever script you want and just you know play around with that EQ. Try applying two or three EQ filters. Like you said, you'll probably find that only using one sounds better than using all four on your console uh, because it starts to interact and make things more muddy and carve out too much of the spectrum. You can also apply the technique to boosting frequencies in a very slight way to kind of enhance some of the, the brilliance or certain elements of that instrument or vocal that might need to pop out of the mix a little bit um, but mo more times than not, you're going to want to cut and, and using that sweeping method is the fastest way and, and the most empowering way to do it. Yep. We've talked a lot about EQ on this episode. So by, they may be like really hungry to learn EQ now. <laughs> so, so we didn't even plan on doing this, but James and I created a course a couple years back that's called the EQ crash course. And it's still available. If you want to enroll in that, I'll put a link to the show notes where you can get into that and just go through the crash course and get real good at all those aspects of EQ. Yeah, totally. Well, James, man, you're a wealth of information. I can't tell you how many times I've emailed you to ask you a question that somebody asked me through Collaborate Worship. I didn't know the answer to it and you did know the answer to it. So it's always a good time to talk to you. Thanks for being with us today. And why don't you tell our listeners the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, um, I guess uh, the, the easy way is greatchurchsound.com. That's where you can find the book and any other uh, resources. I do a blog there and everything. I know there's a lot of folks that listen to both of us that are probably on both our email lists. We do regular newsletters and things like that. So uh, feel free to come over and sign up over there. And then uh, on Facebook at Great Church Sound, um, you'd be able to find me just about anywhere. When you enter it in Google, you'll, you'll find me. <laughs> Awesome. Well, y'all don't miss this opportunity to connect with James Wassum. You need to follow this guy and engage with what he's got going on. And definitely, I recommend picking up his book, Great Church Sound on Amazon. We'll link to all of this in the show notes for you. And as always, thanks for being with us. We need your help to get this podcast out to everybody who needs it. So please leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you're using. And don't forget to subscribe so we can let you know when the next episode comes out. So go implement what you learn in this podcast and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>